Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. It's me. <laughs> it's still me. Hello, it's still you. Welcome back, <laughs> Haley. Welcome back, listeners. It is uh, a thrill to be back. You guys probably don't know, but we haven't recorded in a little while, so we are very happy to be here talking about a, a particularly devastating movie and you guys will find out why this movie that we're talking about today, Still Alice, uh, might be one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> we, we skipped a movie Haley didn't want to watch because of uh, its scare factor. Mm -hmm. And I kind of walked into one here. So um, yeah. can't wait to dive into Still Alice. But Haley, before we do, there's a scene in the movie wherein the family is gathering together. And there's this sort of acknowledgement of of like a really good homemade family mm -hmm. meal. Like, oh, I smell something when I walk in the door. Oh, is it that meal that I'm hoping it is, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it got me thinking before we dive into the heaviness that is going to be this movie, um, what what food would that be for you? It doesn't uh -huh. have to be like family or, or a parent meal so much as just like something that represents home, I guess. Yeah. What, what comes to mind? Yeah, so um, the first two meals that come to mind are family meals. And okay. Um, the very first one is I have never had craft mac and cheese or mac and cheese out of a box. Never. However, Still never? Never in my entire life. Okay. Okay. Um, however, my mom makes a homemade mac and cheese casserole. Nice. Which is like my go-to meal when I like want to make something quickly and it like mine never tastes as good as my mom's does. <laughs> but like that, like I think is when I think of like, what is our family meal? That's the what I think of. But every time we had like a birthday or it was the last night before we left for college or last night before we go home, my mom always says like, what would you like me to make for dinner? And I always pick the exact same meal and it's the most British meal that has ever existed. Oh. So it's roast beef with okay. Yorkshire pudding, which is like this breaded, it's like a batter that's like baked and fried kind of sure. um, that you put gravy in because it's not sweet. It's like you know, a savory. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of, kind of tasteless. <laughs> it's just a batter. It's like a plain batter and that you put like gravy in and then cauliflower where my mom makes this like cheese sauce that goes on it and then usually like roasted potatoes or something like that great i know it's like it's like a well-rounded very british meal um and that is always my mouth is watering yeah that is always the meal that i like pick um and it's just like my mom is such a good cook. Um, and so just like getting her to make this like really good meal is like, oh, so good. <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Hearing you describe it in, in detail is, is got my mouth watering. Uh, right? So that's funny. I'm there with you. Nice. Oh, yeah. um, what about you? Do you have something that like makes you think cozy home, that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, and they're both like Christmas or holiday related because uh -huh. that's like a very strongly family associated meal time for me mm -hmm. in my sort of uh, as long as back as I can remember. But it probably started like teenage years on Christmas morning, either my grandma or my later on, my mom started doing this. Um, uh, my mom and subsequently my dad as well would make uh, sausage strata which is basically this like um, egg casserole dish. It's got sausage, it's got cheese, and it's like baked in the oven for like a good amazing. amount of time. And there's all sorts of like herbs and spices. So the smell yeah. of this dish coming out of the oven on Christmas morning is heavenly. So that became a tradition for us um, for years. And subsequently when I moved out, um, 
one year, my mom, um, or probably mom and dad, made me a whole casserole to bring home with me for uh-huh. on Christmas Eve, um, and it subsequently leaked into my <gasps> car trunk. So I did not have any sausage strata for that Christmas morning. No. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was a tough one. But this brings me to my second uh, thing, which is that my family, uh, my wife and our daughter, we have developed our own tradition, which is that uh, my wife makes homemade cinnamon rolls on usually Thanksgiving morning and or yeah. Christmas morning. So, so it's that same vibe of like holiday, like just us, mealtime, yeah. cozy, under blankets, watching movies or just hanging out and that that smell coming out of the oven yeah. cinnamon vanilla you know especially sweet, sticky. cinnamon rolls they have oh like my gosh. such a distinct smell yes so yummy. um so those are definitely um ones that Amazing. it's like oh my gosh are those like you you sort of forget and then you uh-huh. remember and you're so excited so it's that yeah. kind of feeling is is really nice I just um, looked up a sausage strata and it mm-hmm. looks so good. And it's so funny that you and I both picked like a cheese-based casserole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's well, you know, I think that's it's like a very like heavy, like let's all sit down and just have like a giant meal vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very cozy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. That sounds delicious. And now I'm hungry. Yes. So what a better time for us to not eat and instead just talk for the next hour. Yeah. Go Um, grab a snack during the break. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yes. So right after this break, we will come back and talk about Still Alice. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories and therefore spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Still Alice is a 2014 American drama written and directed by Richard Glatzer and Wash Westmoreland and based on the 2007 novel by Lisa Genova. It stars Julianne Moore as Alice Howland, a linguistics professor diagnosed with familial Alzheimer's disease shortly after her 50th birthday. She and her family wrestle with the diagnosis for the remainder of the movie. And it's really a a tight examination of one person's, in many ways, like complete journey from you know, I'm, I'm who I am. I'm a 50 year old, uh, linguistics professor at Columbia, um, all the way to the end where I'm in, you know, essentially stage seven of Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. need, uh, full, uh, caregiving and, you know, can kind of get out words here and there, but is otherwise, um, just hanging on. So a really a riveting and intense, portrayal of obviously a very real uh disease so we're going to be talking about the the physical implications um but obviously also we're uh, going to be talking a lot about the sort of mental health implications not just for alice as she was mm-hmm. navigating this experience but also her family mm-hmm. so Haley, we don't see alice go into therapy but if we had and let's just say we had seen Alice um, before her Alzheimer's diagnosis, which we sort of do as she's doing like presentations and things like that. And she's at, uh, being celebrated for at her 50th birthday by her family. What are our initial impressions? Who is Alice? Um, Alice seems like a pretty high achiever, uh, standard like individual in academia, right? She runs regularly. She mm-hmm. gets meals with her family regularly. She has one strained do- um, relationship with a daughter who didn't quite do things according to plan. The other two children kind of did things according to plan, and those relationships are more smooth. Good relationship with her husband. Seems to enjoy her job. Seems to like the work yeah. that she does there. Um, yeah, so like pretty standard, like high achiever, midlife professional yeah and and no major problems right at least at the outset Mm -hmm. you know we we saw like we said uh the the very successful seem to be doing well for themselves to academics right and then we sort of get these initial hints and it's like gosh it, it reminded me of um 
you know, almost like a zombie movie. And this just feels like a terrible co- connection. But it's like the way those the way they dropped in the little hints of something's wrong. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, in the zombie movie, it's like somebody coughs into a, you know, a tissue and it's blood. Right. Blood, it's like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. And because we know generally where this movie's going at the outset, we immediately notice these sort of hints of things that, oh, that's weird. She forgot a word in a presentation or, oh, that's weird. She, you know, just introduced herself to her son's girlfriend or daughter or sorry, son's girlfriend girlfriend or fiance twice. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So these sorts of things. And and initially she kind of just brushes them off. But I thought, Haley, it'd be useful in our conversation today to to lay out for people for listeners sort of what the stages of Alzheimer's are Mm -hmm. and how both Alice and her family reckon with and and cope with those developments. Yeah, I think that's great. I I don't know the the explicit stages. And so this is a moment for you to educate me a little bit and then we can chat about how she goes through them. Yeah. So uh, a lot of this, uh, a lot of stage one, which is basically pre-symptoms, is is an interesting thing for us to talk about because as Alice eventually gets a diagnosis, um, which is still pretty early for her in terms of the symptoms that she's experiencing, she learns that it is a genetic familial type Mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's. So as she learns this, she wants to see uh, whether or not her three children also carry this gene and also Mm -hmm. are likely to develop some of this early onset Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And uh, devastatingly finds out that her oldest daughter also carries this gene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we see um, over the course of some of these initial scenes, um, we see Alice find out. Then we see Alice inform her uh, family that she has it and that it's also genetic. And then we see her daughter find out that she has the gene. And that's sort of the last that we hear from the daughter about her own, yeah. you know, possibly having to deal with this diagnosis but this is the sort of before symptoms appear stage mm-hmm. um, often called preclinical Alzheimer's okay. it can begin as early as 10 or 15 years before people even have symptoms so mm-hmm. one of the reasons this is such a hard disease to treat is that it can sort of exist before symptoms are prominent mm-hmm. and uh, and we sort of learn with Alice that because she's an intellectual. Uh, she's, you know, uh, especially for someone in linguistics, mm-hmm. for a long time, she probably found ways to manage some of these symptoms mm-hmm. before they became noticeable to anyone else, or even before she felt like it was such a problem that she needed to talk to a neurologist about. Yeah. And so often, people who are um, high achieving, high functioning, they find ways to adjust for things that they struggle with. And so those things often go unseen. A great example is ADHD. Like I think a lot of people learn skills really early on that it goes completely undiagnosed because those skills have been implemented since since they were young. And what's also interesting about these like beginning stages of of noticing is I think in the beginning, like, and I'm obviously not a a specialist in this area, but my kind of thought is like the quote unquote like mistakes or symptoms are probably more observable by others than by herself. So like introducing herself twice to somebody or saying like, you told me that story already or things like that, which also are completely normal memory things, right? Like, oh, oops, my bad. Yeah. But more likely to be seen from the outside, I think, in the beginning, I guess it would be like more like misplacing things that Mm -hmm. you might notice. But then like the symptoms like losing time or losing direction or not knowing how to get home. Sleeping problems. Yeah. Yeah. That I think is when you, the, the individual would kind of start to notice themselves. But I'm guessing in the beginning, it's like more observable by the, from the outside, but not necessarily in a way that's like I'm worried about you but more like god like mom's forgotten my birthday like four years in a row like she used to remember all the time right things like that and kind of like 
almost anger rather than like, oh, sure. concern. Yeah. 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 Or things that you'd be quick to explain away through any number of other causes, yeah, aging, right? right? Aging. Yeah. Um, and I think she even sees a, a different doctor before she sees the neurologist, right? Where she just sort of, and it's like, oh, well, have you been sleeping well? Have you been anxious or depressed? And it's sort of, yeah. What's your diet like? All these sorts of things, um, looking for other explanations for some of these symptoms. And that's immediately her husband's reaction as well. Like, oh, well, you've been so stressed at work mm -hmm. or, you know, or you haven't been getting much sleep recently. We need a vacation. Mm -hmm. The rush to explain it away, you know, and, and of course, of course, you know, that sort of denial stage is one that's easily recognizable because that sort of devastating diagnosis is you know, much easier to to deny and yeah. look for some other cause than to to deal with it head on. Well, and also like it's only denial if she does have that diagnosis, right? Otherwise, That's fair. it's yes, like of course. probably if she's right, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, like because I think more likely introducing yourself twice or telling the same story more than once or like getting a little bit turned around is more likely to be stress or age related brain farts right yeah yep. and so like explaining stuff away like that actually is thinking a horse rather than a zebra right occam's mm -hmm. razor yep until it's not which in well, this right. case so, it's not right exactly and this yeah. is this is where so stage two is basic forgetfulness right mm -hmm. um forgetting people's names where they left their keys by the way, I was super paranoid about like forgetfulness in the days after watching this movie. Um, like, oh my gosh, do I still remember all these people's names? And it's like, I forget where my wallet is once a week anyway. Uh -huh. But now all of a sudden I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh man, I should really start leaving it in one place all the time. Occam's razor. Yes. <laughs> it's probably a horse, Ryan. You're okay. Well, but the point uh, of this stage is that mm -hmm. it's easily to be sort of written off yeah. as mm -hmm. normal-aged forgetfulness, yep. right? Um, and especially because the person can still drive, work, and be social. She's, she does have a high-stress, high-pressure job, but as far as we know, she's doing that successfully yeah. right it's not until some of these later stages that we start to find out uh mm -hmm. the extent of which things have been going south mm -hmm. but the way that south starts to turn pretty quickly um with stage three being noticeable memory difficulties right mm -hmm. so it's not just that i notice or my family notices but it's yeah. this sort of sort of significant oh this is different this is something's wrong yeah. something's off right but like and her I think, forgetting her lectures or forgetting where she saved yes, information or yes. forgetting what's on the syllabus like a thing she has done hundreds of times yes right and yeah. even the other really interesting example was and i thought this was really well filmed in mm -hmm. terms of like showing someone's experience of this um was her getting lost on her run yeah that was so well filmed yeah, because you really felt like you were experiencing it with her where mm -hmm. she was like, things got blurry. Not that she couldn't see, but that, that was sort of a representation of mm. where am I? Yeah. Why is this guy offering people flyers right next to me? Just sort uh -huh. of like context had been lost. Yeah. She was um, still in focus. And so yes, like exactly. her experience was very clear, right? Yes. But the like what was going around her suddenly became a little bit artistically represented. Yeah. yeah. And when there's no obvious cause for that sort of experience, I have to imagine that that's incredibly scary. And we see her go home kind of shaken from this experience. Mm -hmm. And if I'm remembering the timeline quickly, hadn't told her husband yet um, when she was having this symptom, right? Or was so that... I believe that was the was moment that, right that after? sent her to the neurologist. That's what I was going to say. Like she yeah. was like, there's something wrong. Okay. Yes. So I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yep. She told him that she got lost. And yes. he basically was like, you're fine. You know, yeah. she's like, no, I didn't know how to get back. Yes. Yeah. And that's why this sort of noticeable memory difficulty stage is when it's pretty common for people to be diagnosed. And this is sort of what happens with Alice is mm -hmm. she reports some of these things. And then we actually see her take one of the tests with the neurologist, mm -hmm. which was very stressful to watch because again i'm like okay i need to remember this too do i remember it's washington ave in hoboken and da 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 because i think that's probably her experience as well mm -hmm. you have to imagine that if you're in this testing scenario 
you know what you're going to be tested on, uh-huh. right? You know you're going to have to remember this stuff, but it's the nature of the test to bring you far enough away from that initial, you know, thing you're going to remember or thing that you were told that then to come all the way back from it is a test of your working memory. Mm-hmm. So, and I think, you know, it's just sort of, I found myself wondering because, you know, you and I as therapists, obviously we do a lot of measurement-based care mm-hmm. at times where we use scales or scores and mm-hmm. kind of check in with people in those in those ways. And I've certainly worked with people in situations where answering the questions about anxiety is sort of its own anxious practice. <laughs> totally, yeah. Um, or conversely with ADHD, you, met, you mentioned before, like, I know I'm taking this test to find out if I have ADHD. So does that inform how well I do on it, right? Uh-huh. Does And I think there's something about this, even just testing experience, which I think can be really stressful for people. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. So I, as part of um, becoming a psychologist, you learn how to do like assessments for things yeah. like personality and learning disabilities totally. and th- and autism and things like that. And And there are a lot of like tests for working memory. But the thing about the test is they are fairly simple tasks. So for example, count backwards while also telling us the color of the number, you know, um, I made that up, but like that type of a task. And then each time it gets slightly harder and there's, you're meant to forget some of it. And I think that's what freaks people out is that when it gets harder, they start to be like, Oh no, what's wrong. However, many of these tests have been standardized knowing that people aren't going to love um, like the the process of it getting harder. And then you also are kind of taught how to like kind of observe distress tolerance and kind of comment mm-hmm. on whether that is playing yep. a role in it. Absolutely. But yeah, certainly like if you're told like, remember these things, you're going to have to tell them back to me. And then the person talks about a million other things. You're like, no, 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 no. I want to remember the first thing. Yeah. 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 And we can understand how this sort of diagnosis experience can be very upsetting and anxiety inducing um, for someone. And we see Alice as she receives this diagnosis and then finally does tell her husband in the middle of the night, uh, no less, um, that his reaction um is certainly not what she was looking for at that time. You know, I, I we got the sense that she, even if she wasn't accepting of it, like had come into like, this is my reality. I have been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. This is real. And he kind of, you know, rapid cycled through that's ridiculous. No, you mm-hmm. don't, you know, they're crazy. Well, we'll get you a it's referral like to someone thing. else. Yeah. Yes. Um, and even when he goes to the doctor with her is like, you know, isn't it possible it could be this other thing or, you know, well, what are the treatment options? Surely we caught it this early, you know, we mm-hmm. can do something about it. Yeah. And it's hard to watch someone go through a difficult experience and also not get the support, you know, they need. Um, I don't know what it was like for you watching her, you know, bring her husband to that experience with her, but, but wow, I mean, it certainly was for me um, reminiscent of experiences I've had working with people who like they tell their partner they were diagnosed with, you know, ADHD, even like mm-hmm. something like ostensibly lighter. But it's mm-hmm. like, what? What are you talking about? You're not this. You're not that. Um, and I think people have a, a resistance to things that feel like they're going to really shake up the Stand reality well. or normalcy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly see in that moment that the husband cycles through his own journey, <laughs> yeah. um, right? Like he obviously starts grasping for control in any place that he can, right? Like yeah. asking all the questions, what can we change? What can we do? And then they get to the elevator and calls it and it takes a while. And then he like calls it like six more times. Yeah, and that's just yeah. a like, nothing is working the way I want mm-hmm. it to work kind of a yep. reaction. Which again, totally normal and totally expected and and fair. And simultaneously, I agree with you, not what she needs in that moment. And so I do have like a little bit of compassion for him in that like he is learning 
a scary thing himself, but also let's share this together. But I think, I was going to say, I think they kind of do share it together, but I don't think they do. Well, he gets to a better place with it over time. It seems like. I don't I, know. I'll like, say, I feel like they take separate journeys from that point oh, on. Oh, 100%. Yeah. When I say he he gets to a better place, it's not necessarily a better place in supporting her. Yeah. It's more like he moves through anger and into a version of acceptance that allows him to. Yeah. And I would you argue know, it's not acceptance, it's resignation. Like, to oh, me, sure. it feels like he's like, sure. well, this is my life now, rather than yes. like, That's fair. okay, this is my wife's experience and I'm going to get care for her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. And, and, you know, I have to say, maybe part of it for me where I just found myself really not liking uh, her husband as a character, mm-hmm. it might have been like anti-Alec Baldwin bias, but <laughs> but there was something going on there where I'm just like, this I guy, just come on. You know, because he, you know, and I think a lot of this is is very normal. And I think empathizing with him is is appropriate and recognizing that that uh, denial, uh, that refusal to accept is coming from that place of wanting things to still be the way that they are, right? Wanting Mm -hmm. your, your, as he says, beautiful, intelligent spouse to be able to continue working and to be able to retire and to be Mm -hmm. able to do all these things and be there as grandparents. Mm -hmm. Um, And a diagnosis like this represents something that's going to be very different from that future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's so different when it's like a parent or a grandparent because we almost have a level of expectation that they will age faster than us, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. And so coming into something like this, there's almost this level of like, I don't like it and I have to grieve this person while they're still alive. However, when it's your partner, like I know so many marriages where there's, I mean, not so many, I almost every single marriage, there's the like, well, when we retire type language, right? We'll Absolutely. go on that trip when we retire, stuff like that. And that goes away. Yeah. Right. But it goes away while the person's still there. So there's like the, well, can we still take that trip? You know, like the, can I accept this job offer? Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, that's a whole story on its own. I'm like, yes, "Yes, you can, but also like, don't change her environment too much. Cause that's scary. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. You have to grieve a whole future that you had for yourself. And 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 look, we can totally empathize with that, but we also see him sort of set the tone for the other kids in how they try to support her through these stages mm-hmm. of her diagnosis. Mm-hmm. At least the oldest one, Kate Bosworth. At least the oldest one, yeah. for sure, right? So obviously, you know, they tell the kids... And it's this natural uh, disbelief and questions. And mm-hmm. um, and then it felt like within a couple of scenes, they were talking about her as if she wasn't in the room, but oh, she was. I hate that so much. And again, really hard to watch. Yeah. Because, you know, they're making plans for her or making plans for themselves. And, and we just sort of see her there and ostensibly hearing them talking, but also not an active participant in the conversation. It's just really Well, and sad. even prior yeah. to that, they're talking yeah. about her while she is a participant in the conversation, right? So yes. she's asking like, oh, please remind me again when it is yes. so I can put it in my calendar. And Kate Bosworth does the like, oh, well, you don't even need to think about it, so don't worry about it. Yes. And Kristen Stewart does what I think is the the kinder thing, which is like, let's just tell her. Like, we're going to get her either way. Of course way. you can put it in your calendar. So like, yeah. yeah, if she forgets it, who cares? But if mm-hmm. she wants to try to remember yeah. it, let her. Like, let's treat her like the human she is, right? And, well, right. And if somebody asks you when something is so they can put it in their calendar, you tell them, right? Yeah, and we see uh, Alice wrestling with that experience in these early stages, right? Writing down numbers or letter or words, excuse me writing down words on the chalkboard to see if she can remember them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having questions that she kind of asks herself to start her day with on her mm-hmm. phone. Things basically to keep her active memory working mm-hmm. and ways that she can 
confirm to herself that she's sort of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's her, I think, also fighting off some of these early stages. So we we yeah, go from, control. you know, yeah, exactly. So we go from these sort of noticeable memory difficulties, which I think she would acknowledge that she has, um, to then, you know, more significant symptoms beyond memory loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um we would call them like other aspects of cognition, um, difficulty with language, organization, calculations, um, you know, uh, some difficulty performing daily tasks. And we see her have some really difficult conversations, you know, with uh, her daughter, Mm -hmm. with her boss, right? So it becomes clear that she wants to work as long as she can. And of course we could understand with that being her career, but she has this meeting with her boss around basically bad reviews that she's been getting as a professor. Well, I was going to ask you sort of what what that scene was like for you, because I think for me that, you know, I think I'm doing okay. And actually now you're telling me that all my students have been hating this. Like, that would be pretty devastating as a therapist. Too. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, the secret of bad reviews is like just a devastating experience. Yeah. You know, almost like take the Alzheimer's out of it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like that would be horrible to like yeah. think everything's going perfectly and then find out yeah. like everybody thinks it's going poorly. Yes. yes. However, I think that's a, a very clear indication of kind of what I was saying earlier of like it can be seen from the outside more than it can be seen from the inside Absolutely. in that like she's not realizing that she's disjointed. She's not realizing that she's actually like not following a thread in class. She might notice like, oops, I, I couldn't find the uh, the thing for today, the, the discussion for today. But what she isn't picking up on is that that's happening multiple times per class or it's happening multiple classes. And all of these reviews were like, I signed up for this class because people have been raving about it for years. Yeah. And what? Like it was disjointed, she was disorganized, she and I think that that's a a good representation of kind of what the Alzheimer's journey looks like is yeah. the person themselves are aware that like things aren't going well, but they're not like the context kind of goes away. And yeah, I think that that probably leads us into like the next stage of what Alzheimer's is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really this sort of, this isn't like a specific stage, but the sort of the, the theme that we start to see with Alice is really this loss of identity, right? So if she's not, you know, Columbia professor, Mm -hmm. maybe she can still hold on to being mom and then eventually grandma. Maybe she's still a runner. Maybe she's still an academic in these circles with her husband. Mm -hmm. But even those sort of outlets are progressively deteriorating as well. She doesn't want to go into social situations, whether it's because of embarrassment or fear Mm -hmm. of embarrassing herself or her husband. We see her try to build relationships with uh, her daughter, uh, her youngest daughter, played by Kristen Stewart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think from a good place, wants to know more about her, reads her diary, um, you know, wants to be able to connect with her, wants to feel like I know this person and I don't need to remember. I can just kind of have this resource. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, that's a breach of trust and there's Mm -hmm. conflict there. And you can just see her wrestling with her own deteriorating capability yeah well and then also goes for a run and then chooses to go for froyo after and then like that level of independence gets swiped out from under her by her husband which understandable like understandably he was um concerned terrified for her and um today you'd have an apple watch with location services but um (laughs) she's like i'm an adult who wanted to go for a run and then get froyo just let me do it. Yeah. And like you said, like losing that identity piece of I can't be. a And then also like being aware that you're losing your memory, but then kind of continually testing yourself. Mm-hmm. That's got to be such like a preemptive grief. Like who am I when I don't remember this, which kind of leads into the video she leads herself, which is like yeah. when I'm no longer me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the video she makes for herself, where it's basically like when you can no longer answer these questions, right? And I forget yeah. the exact questions. I think it was basically like, 
your children's birthdays. Yeah, it was like birthdays, this sort of rote memory things from children's uh, names. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When you can no longer remember these things, basically like here are the instructions for you to follow. Mm-hmm. And I think I I'm assuming us watching it we recognize what this was maybe before um, the sort of typical person just like, oh, what an interesting video that you're recording for yourself. Yeah, like what, what instructions is she What leaving? are you doing with that? Yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, we see the, the, you know, take this whole bottle, don't tell anyone. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is a preemptively planned suicide. I think, mm-hmm. is it fair to say that? Yeah, um, no, it's a suicide plan. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, watching that, watching her record that, watching her not ever having to tell anyone that that's her plan or that's mm-hmm. how she's feeling that that was the heaviness of this experience you know again was a really i think sad part of this experience is that it wasn't in that moment when she made that video that she wanted to die right there and then Mm-mm. right this was an intent on wanting to be able to control when things get bad enough that I will still be able to make a choice over, you know, what my life's going to look like. When I'm no longer me, right? When I no longer feel like me and she's determined that that day will be when she can't answer those questions, um, I don't want to exist anymore, right? Like I want to choose to die in that moment. Um. Yeah, like I think it's incredibly sad. And I also like it's not surprising to me that she doesn't share it with anybody. Yeah. And I think she like knows that her family's going to take the pills away or delete. Right, that she would lose that control. She would lose that option. And she knows that she won't remember if they do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And, and that's, I think kind of what we're talking about this sort of fifth stage which is really decreased independence right so up until these stages where she's just sort of deciding she can't work anymore you know her kids kind of check on her her husband's still working um Mm -hmm. but then you know the independence starts to shift so they Mm -hmm. go and stay at their beach house together and they take shifts like i'm leaving so this daughter will come in and watch you i'll be fine like yes you won't you got lost on the way to the bathroom right exactly right yeah i even hear the tone of my voice like being like yeah which like actually really annoys me that i'm doing that but like i you know we do feel sad for people who are struggling with alzheimer's and also like in these stages the stage we're hitting now it kind of starts to disappear a little bit but the stages prior to now that kind of tone that i was using is probably like one of the worst things you can do because of that desire Mm. to remain whole and remain oneself and remain independent to have people go like it's okay mom you don't need to remember that like right stop it let me remember it (laughs) and that's like you know am i being spoken to as if i'm a child or am i being spoken to as if i you know can't take care of myself and on one hand it's like yes because we are worried you are not someone who can take care of Mm -hmm. themselves but to your point i think that there's so much power in staying on that level of validation and empowerment and i'm treating you like you're an adult if you tell me you know where the bathroom is, I'm going to let you figure that out, yeah. right? And then if you, unfortunately, again, a very devastating scene is she's realizing the depth of her illness mm-hmm. when she gets lost looking for the bathroom in the, yeah. at the beach house and goes to the bathroom on herself. Yeah. Um, and then her husband finds her. That's like she's conscious enough to realize that happened to her and what it means that that's happening to her. Mm-hmm. And also so I think is, he yeah. handles that moment really beautifully. So like, that's, that's what I was going like to say. I was going to give him moment. some credit for that. Yeah. 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 Where he was like, yeah. okay, let's go clean yep. you up. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they still want to go on runs with her. They still want to talk to her about their career. They still want her to be grandma when mm-hmm. the, the twins come around. But, mm-hmm there's also the recognition of, well, what is she capable of and what, you know, and the, the scene, oh my gosh, when the twins are born and she's like, I know how to hold a baby, uh-huh. you know, and it's like, she's desperately clinging to these 
things of herself that mm-hmm. she knows she's capable of, but mm-hmm. people are still understandably very nervous around what she can and can't do. Yeah, I really loved that moment because Kate Bosworth's character has been like, you know, infantilizing her kind of repeatedly. Yep. And in that moment, she's the one that says like, yeah, you can hold them. Like mm-hmm. she's the one that's like, yes. And yeah. I love that because she's connecting with her mom over her child. And I thought that was like a really lovely connected moment. Yeah. 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 So this, this sort of decreased independence stage though, stage five, um, we see, uh, her husband, you know, helping her get dressed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we see her, I don't she doesn't necessarily experience paranoia, but things like paranoia or delusions or hallucinations are common during this stage. Mm-hmm. And we know from from talking about other mental health diagnoses that these sorts of symptoms can be incredibly troubling, both for the individual as well as the sort of people attempting to um, support them. Mm-hmm. It can be really scary um, because especially if someone is sort of independent enough to be leaving the house and maybe going for a walk or a mm-hmm. run, but also at risk enough that that could lead to them getting lost. You know, it's a huge risk, you mm-hmm. know, deciding can they still drive? Can they leave the house unsupervised? You know, this sort of stage is really difficult one yeah. to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. And the hallucinations and um, and paranoias and things like that, I think, is a, an incredibly hard stage as well for uh, caregivers and family members, because yeah. that is also the stage where the um, the narrative starts to become disjointed. And so um, oftentimes p- caregivers and loved ones will react with like fact checking or trying to like understand the story or trying to like explain that like, no, that's not there. And um, because the person is in this stage of, of mental health, like they that's not super useful. Like that nope. information that you're giving them is not really going to sink. And, and basically the transition of, of Alzheimer's is from like a language narrative context based experience into a visceral emotional experience. I, w- I would say an emotional and then a visceral experience. So yeah. it becomes kind of more about what the person is feeling and their emotional experience. And then it more just becomes about their body um, and what their body is presenting. And um, it loses that narration, loses that context. Yeah. yeah. And there was one scene I wanted to come back to because I thought it was another example of just like a really powerful both portrayal and just sort of part of Alice's story, which is um, her neurologist sort of encourages and opens her up to this opportunity to be a speaker at a conference. Uh huh. And you know, this she's she's right in this sort of like stage three, stage four, where if she's going to pull this off, it it requires like an incredible amount of memory and and like preparation and and energy mm-hmm. and we see her wrestling with that as she's writing and highlighting mm-hmm. and highlighting things over and over and over again and reading her speech over with her daughter mm-hmm. and this is you know in many ways and it's sad but it's like her last uh, triumph her last you know really thing that probably felt the most like her right mm-hmm. um is i'm telling the story and even in the moment overcoming you know uh, dropped note cards and oh things like gosh. that Always number yeah. your pages or your note cards when you're giving a speech. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Staple it together in the corner. <laughs> yeah, but oh my gosh, that was one of the scenes watching for me where it's just like, because part of you, I, I shall say part of me, part of me watches that scene thinking like, and they sort of acknowledge that like, this could plateau. This The developments of these symptoms could plateau mm. where she's able to or a person with Alzheimer's can sort of stay at a acknowledging like a certain level of debilitation, but Mm -hmm. also of cognition that Mm -hmm. she could still be reasonably independent. She Mm -hmm. could still have some degree of working memory. So of course there's hope for that as you watch her doing this is um, maybe she can maintain this. Maybe Mm -hmm. if she can do this, maybe there's like something that will kind of stay with her. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we 
uh, contrast that scene with her visiting sort of like the old folks home of elder patients with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Right. And she knows she's again at the severe level of these symptoms are sort of starting to onset. And it's like, here's where you might end up. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the roads are splitting and it's like, I, maybe I could hold on and still do this kind of thing. But this is sort of more likely, mm-hmm. and she sees the the room, and um, she says it's all women, right? And it's mm-hmm. like this recognition of like, because she, I guess in, in the in the movie, is it was it her mom or her grandma also had it? I think they when she gets the diagnosis and they figure out it's the familial one. I think there yeah. is a moment of like some this recognition, makes so right? and so, yeah. like yeah. make more sense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, so just some self-disclosure, like I have an older family member who has um, Alzheimer's and lives in a memory care facility. And it's not as chaotic as that scene right. was. Yeah. However, like, it's a lot like that. Like you yeah. go in and and it's a lot of people kind of like lost in their own heads. And mm-hmm. My family member used to sit next to the same woman every day and I would go and visit and would, I like formed a kind of a relationship with the woman next to my family member. And she in some ways had more cognition than my family members and in other ways had less. And, and like, she would like remember me and be like, oh, I know you, but she couldn't like speak yeah, with like me place and it. things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas my family member had no idea who I was, but could speak with me and hold a conversation with me. And that's the thing is like, not everybody's like journey looks the same. Not everybody's progression looks the same. And you know, the, luckily the, the facility that, that my family member is at, is that it's a wonderful facility and there's such a big difference. It's, it really is. And in the one in this, in this movie seemed that way as well, but you know, I think if I had the diagnosis and I walked in there, I don't know that I would, I like, I almost knowing myself, I would be like, I want you to give me all the information, right? Like I, like I want to go in there and I want to see, but at the same time, like now that I have seen and I'm like, if I get that diagnosis, don't, don't take me to a memory care facility. Like (laughs) just, just let me yeah. slowly progress there and then when i'm there you can move me to the facility sure <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's so it's interesting hard. um because i guess for me um in sort of i i hinted at why this movie was so scary for me and i think and i think you know it, again in like a little bit of self-disclosure i think this is something that our uh patients and people that i work with deal with as well which is like this fear of being a burden on people around you mm-hmm. right um whether it's I have PTSD or I have anxiety or I have OCD or whatever it is, or I have Alzheimer's, not wanting that experience to be a weight or a negative influence mm-hmm. or experience for other people around you. Mm-hmm. And my brain was like, oh my gosh, just put me in there whenever. Just like, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I, I, oh I should gosh. go. I, not whenever, go. no. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. no, but that, but partly yeah. out of that sense of like, I'll be with people whose job it is to take yeah. care of me yeah. I'll and you can come see me whenever it. you want. Yeah, I'll be uh, there and maybe I'll remember you. Maybe yeah. I won't. And that's but like, your that's, version yeah. of your future plan, right? Like yes, hers looks exactly. different than yours. Yes. And, right. and I think what is interesting is like the, the burden concept to me, I kind of feel like the narrative in the story was kind of like, well, the, the husband like kind of like loves her and supports her, but kind of fi- finds her a burden a little bit. That's yeah. like the feeling yeah. that I got. Whereas, mm-hmm. The Kristen Stewart character gave the vibe of like taking care of you is not a burden to me. Like that's right. You she as my mother, like back. our relationship yes. is a little bit painful, yes. but that's just because that's us, not because yeah. of like what you're going through. Yeah. And I think that like, like I hope that every family has one of those. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we that that sort of stage uh, of the illness for Alice when uh, her youngest daughter, played by Kristen Stewart, comes back basically to, uh, I guess the the sense what I got was that she was moving in because Dad was moving to Chicago or was moving to Minnesota to take that job. Oh, 
okay, I missed that plot point. Okay, so that's that's the sense that I got. Um, was he was like, I'm doing this. Thank you for kind of taking this responsibility on. Mm-hmm. And she was willing to do that because she could, you know, ostensibly still get acting jobs in New York City and kind of mm-hmm. also be at home with mom. But yeah, to your point. You know, in many cases, it does fall to someone to be the caregiver, whether by default or someone volunteers or or, or by choice, volu- volunteering, voluntold. Yeah. Um, you know that that caregiving experience does emerge, right, as part of this, especially as part of this illness, because as mm-hmm. we acknowledge, like these severe symptoms become so severe that independence is basically impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you don't know what to do when the fire alarm goes off, if you don't know what to do when the phone rings, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that sort of becoming more dependent on others just for those basic um, interactions, yeah. while sad, is also important um, mm-hmm. to make yeah. sure that, you know, what that life is going to look like. Yeah. And I think like one thing as we talk about kind of like the caregiving, I a, a moment that I thought was really powerful between um, Kristen Stewart and um, Alice was when um, Kristen Stewart's character said, um, what does it feel like? And um, she tells her and then afterwards she's like, thanks for asking. And I yeah. think that that really summarizes like we as a culture are afraid of illness. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of putting people out. And so we don't ask the questions. And to me, the like not talking about it, not asking her about her experience is kind of like talking about her in the room, right? Of like the, we all know it's here, but like, just ignore it. And what Kristen Stewart did was she was like, tell me, tell me what you're going through. And I don't think that she did that with intention. I think it's because she truly was curious about her mother's experience oh, and and it happened to be the right thing to do. Um, it becomes very clear that she's the natural caregiver in the family um, mm-hmm. in, in the way the movie presented it. But I thought that was a really wonderful experience because so often when we are supporting somebody through a breakup or through an illness or through mental health or through of being fired, like whatever it might be, we so often try to like solve it or fix it or distract them from it. And yeah. sometimes you just need to say like, Hey, what is it? How are you feeling? Like, what's yeah. your experience? Yeah. And not try to be like, Oh, that's my experience too. Or I, I know that as well, but also like, yeah, that sucks. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it really comes down to, to validation and your desire and, and openness to hearing that person's experience uh-huh. versus, trying to stop making that their experience yes um you know whether through distraction or through yeah yeah yeah. i mean and look again we can we can empathize with people who try to address the situation this way right because it's like oh well let's not be sad let's just watch tv or let's yeah yeah, i think that's also a very natural reaction as well a hundred percent yeah but we're also recognizing that um that doesn't ease anyone's uh, experience right you know even if you put the tv on it's a distraction you're still thinking about it and they're still experiencing it that way so nothing has gotten better and and it's not a guarantee that if you ask someone hey what is this like for you Mm -hmm. that that's going to result in this you know naturally important beneficial outcome but you know, it, it, that validation as yeah. a as a broad yeah. sort of trend. And also, really like, healing. I think yeah. this isn't a black and white thing, right? So it's like, right. do a little bit of both, right? Like, sure. do sure. a little bit of like, let's just turn Absolutely. the TV on and yeah. um, and also do a little bit of like, hey, what's what's going on for you in any mm-hmm. relationship at any time? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um. That's stage six. And we don't see a lot of stage seven, but stage seven Alzheimer's is basically lack of physical control. Um, You know, the individuals may need round the clock care with the simplest things like walking, sitting, or even swallowing. So Mm -hmm. this can have a really uh, devastating, uh, you know, conclusion more or less um, to what this disease can do to people. So for people who are caregivers, seeing people go through this experience, um, it's, I think, very natural to, uh, whether it's kind of go through those stages of grief early 
or be really anxious or really confused, frustrated, like tension and agitation can build up for people with Alzheimer's. So wrestling with that conflict that can come up can be a a really big challenge. And, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm reading this is from, uh, you know, basically a well-known hospital's website. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, um, remember that they're unaware of what they're doing at this point. So don't take it personally. (laughs) God, (laughs) it's so true, though. You know, which is right, accurate and good advice, but yeah. easier said than done. <laughs> Truly. And also, yeah. like, um, I think something that does happen, not quite at st- – I mean, it happens at stage seven as well, but in the, like, slightly earlier ones. Like, if you're out in public, the person with Alzheimer's starts doing weird stuff. And it's because, like, yep. social rules are just a narrative. Yes. Right? And if you're living in a world where, like, you're losing those contextual narratives, like – you're going to do a weird thing because like, yeah. you, don't, you don't have that narrative anymore. And yeah, I think you don't know which also, way to face in the elevator. Yeah. That's the <laughs> example I was going to give too. Um, and it's also like in those moments, it's really important to be like, this isn't personal, you know, like mm-hmm. they're not doing it to be embarrassing this. If I am embarrassed, that's my shit, my stuff. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that and that's the sort of scene that you mentioned is where we really end the movie, which is um, Alice and her daughter still finding a way to connect. Right, mm-hmm. Alice basically running her lines with her mom um, and asking her, you know, what does that mean, right? Um, and she says, "Love," and it's like, "Yeah, mom, love." Um, and I got to say, I, I liked ending it on that note because mm-hmm. reading stage seven and kind of seeing where this goes from there Mm. you know i think that's a natural way to acknowledge that this is its own sort of ending um Mm. that this is as much of a relationship and as much of a version of alice as there is so Mm -hmm. it's you know a way to tell her story yeah emphasizing that that person yeah and i think once you get to stage seven all that you can do is love the person yeah you know um and so i think that is, like you said, a beautiful way to end it. Very artistically done. Mm-hmm. So that that wraps up Still Alice. And, you know, despite it being a hard uh, watch, you know, Haley, we should still do some uh, reviews, let the people know what we thought of this. And uh, I will start us off um, by asking you how you think this movie was rated, and then we can do our own um, ratings. So, Ooh, what was the Rotten Tomatoes? For yes. It? So I have an audience score and a critic score, and I will—I don't know if this hint's going to help or hurt your guess, but they are exactly the same. So there's a consensus Ooh. between audience and critics I'm on say Still 68%. Alice. Sixty-eight percent. Wow, you are uncharacteristically off. <gasps> this movie got an eighty-five percent tomato meter. Wow. See, that's funny. It the um I would have given it a higher critics rating and a lower audience rating. So I did throw you off a little bit. You did. <laughs> but what I would have guessed for the I so I basically ultimately guessed for the audience, which yeah. is why I said 68. Oh, sure. Um interesting. I yeah. yeah. Um okay. Yeah, two and a half stars from uh Mr. Roger Ebert. Um so, you know, take that for what you will. Yeah. Out of five? Yeah. So he was, he was a little yeah. bit more critical, yeah. I guess, he, than... I think he and I fall somewhere. He trends in that direction, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. He's a grump. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know you. Maybe you're not a grump. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So um, perhaps we should do our reviews. So, Haley, as we think about our own reviews, let's say on a scale of one to five college lectures because that lecture totally brought me back Uh um how would you rate the accuracy of still alice i would say i would say four and i think part of the reason why i say four is because i think this movie is very artistically done in a way that is highly representative of the the progression of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So I think like, for example, we see a scene where she's frantically looking for her phone in the middle of the night. Oof, and then yes. I think it's like the very next scene or like a scene soon after where he finds the phone and she goes, Oh, I was looking for that. 
And then he goes, that was a month ago. And oh, I think gosh. by like putting but the those, way they shot it, yeah. it was all felt like it was all one night. Yes, oh my right? gosh. So like yes. having those Ugh. scenes right next to each other, I think was like a very like meaningful representation of like yeah. time gets a little warped and yep. what you remember gets a little warped and how you see the world gets a little warped. And we described the scene where she got lost and like she was perfectly clear, but the world was blurry. And yeah. I think... I really loved how like the people who tried to connect logically with her kind of struggled. And then the person, Kristen Stewart, who tried to connect more like just like emotionally, um, you know, more just like, let's take a walk and and I'm going to be like, mom, don't give me a hard time about it. Like connected more closely, more intimately. I think that really mirrors the the progression of Alzheimer's from that like that language-based narrative to the like body-based emotional experience um yeah or transition yeah i think it loses a point because it it's a short movie and so like it it, like it's almost as though it's like step one step two step three step four it's sort of like an incomplete yeah yeah Um, Yeah. and it like almost happens too quickly and like Mm -hmm. nothing really happens development wise however with a, a disease like this there is no specific timeline. And so like any movie, just like the stages of grief are not linear. Like this yeah. is just sort of like yeah. a combination of things. And so yeah. like, if they're going to hit all the points in an hour and a half to two hours, it, like they have to kind of hit them quickly, but then also things feel a little underdeveloped. Um, mm-hmm. But again, like that's, you know, like the way that it's shot is very kind of like, artistically Alzheimer'sy. So I think it was done pretty well. Again, I'm not an Alzheimer's specialist, but I am somebody who has had like some experience witnessing it. And it it felt realistic from the outside, from somebody observing. So yeah. Yeah. This was already gonna be my rating scale and I brought it up. On a scale from one to five lost cell phones. um how and i think that's almost a good scale for you um how entertaining did you find this movie so i I compared to the zombie movie which i feel bad about but i it's i i I made that comparison because i watched this movie the same way i watch a horror movie Mm -hmm. have you ever seen it follows do you think I've seen it follow? No, of course. I don't know why. <laughs> well, so it's another scary movie where it's like the whole conceit is like it's something is following me, but I never see it. And I, uh, I just uh-huh. have this feeling of it following me. Oh, and like the, oh. It, it, it had just the the same vibe where this whole time I'm watching this movie and it feels like this person is being stalked by this invisible thing. Yeah. And the only time you like feel it getting closer and closer and more dangerous and worse. Mm. And I was watching it like, like, oh no, the killer's right behind you. But like, you never get that, okay, that scene's over because it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. And it's just the next day or sometimes the next month. And wow. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it entertaining in the sense of like, oh, wow, that was really entertaining. Uh-huh. I would call it entertaining in the sense of uh, gripping, um, enthralling, devastating, enthralling. Yes, yes. So if that is an experience that you are looking for, this movie did that to me, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, gosh. I don't know what score that means. I also don't I, think you have to give it one if it doesn't feel like <laughs> if it doesn't feel like it fits. No, I know. You I mean, like, so it's I, a phone call on that phone. Yes. Yeah. And and even and we didn't talk about the sort of like con- quote unquote conclusion of the the sort of suicide plan, but like that scene is sort of like a good encapsulation of this movie where it's like you know she's so close to something terrible but maybe also okay thing happening Uh like and in that sense each sort of subsequent is like okay well this is real and i think that's why the the accuracy rating i think is just almost the more important so i'll just stay on the same i'll give the same number that you gave just as a way of acknowledging like wow this was a lot yeah I'll take that phone and I'll call the accuracy rating. (laughs) Okay, there we go. 
but yeah, and, and kudos to um, to Julianne Moore, a really incredible portrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it was it was. And really... like Kristen Stewart gets a lot of flack as an actress, but <laughs> I think she's wonderful. Like. She's she was in really a good lot in this of movie. my favorite movies. Yes. Yeah, I've never seen yes. the the vampire movies, but she's in a lot of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read a familiar criticism was just like she's just herself, right? This yeah. is just her being like, I'm um, just Kristen Stewart. I'm yeah. I'm an actress, but she nails it, right? <laughs> but she does it so well. Yeah. Yes, and it was very believable. It's like and, Michael and Sarah, touching. but he nails it. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. She nails being herself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so that's still Alice, Haley. So we uh, we reached the end. Thank you, everyone, for coming along this ride with us. We promise to do lighter fare in the future, but you know, I think it's it's important for us to acknowledge that some of these difficult, scary things are out there because mm-hmm. you know people have to encounter them a lot of different ways. So yeah, yeah, we gotta do the thanks for asking. You know, thanks for talking about it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and thank you all for listening to us talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to send us other suggestions, please feel free to do so at poppsych 101 on Twitter, on Facebook, or you can email us at uh, poppsych101 and Instagram. Yes, thank you at gmail.com. And thank you all, as always, for listening. We have new episodes coming up. So uh, check back to your feed sometime soon. Bye. Bye.